Hey everyone, this is Hallie. And this is Adrian. And together we are the, the Bottle, Bottle Blondes. Blondes. This is the Unstuffy Wine Podcast for funny people. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, and more. Please download an episode and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at our Instagram, at Bottle Blondes Wine. We'll have pictures of the wine we drink for the podcast and our other adventures in wine. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye. Bye. Welcome, everyone, to Bottle Blondes. Welcome. <laughs> um, this unstuffy wine podcast for funny people. Yes. Uh, as you may or may not know, we broadcast from beautiful Portland, Oregon. In beautiful Adrian's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we have been uh, ignoring Oregon a little bit. We our... really have. Um, We've not been giving her the attention she deserves. It's true because, you know, we're just exposed to her all the time mm-hmm. and we take her wines for granted. She's and, kind of a big deal here. And it's Oregon Wine Month uh, currently. Oh, yeah. Uh, ending Still this is. month. Uh, it's May. This will probably come out in June. But yes, Oregon uh, Wine Month was this month. And um, today we're going to be talking about Oregon's gem of a grape. Gem of a grape. The, the number one. I mean, it's. It's what made it. It's like our first love, you know? It's yeah. like when you think about your first boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, and, and you think about all how, like, cute and, like, wonderful and, and smooshy that was. <laughs> That's how I feel about Pino. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it really was kind of uh, the gateway drug for <laughs> wine. <laughs> Straight from love to drugs. Love, love and drugs. Love I and mean, drugs. those keep us alive, right? <laughs> <I> mean, really? <laughs> Not nutritionally, but no, like, no. Know, I mean, you still need your fruits, your vegetables, wine water, fruit, water, water. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're gonna be finally hitting up uh, Oregon Pinot Noir today. Yeah, it's um, it's the state's main grape. The state has three main grapes, and we're not gonna be going into the other ones. But um, in addition to Pinot, the abundance of Pinot that you can find here. Uh, the other main grapes of the state are Pinot Gris and Chardonnay. And Oregon makes some really lovely versions of both of those. Um, we've covered Pinot Gris before. We've covered Chardonnay before. So go check out those episodes because we definitely mention Oregon in both. Um, and then there's a bunch of other grapes in the state, too, in other areas like, you know, Tempranillo in the south. And, you know, there's some technically, like like you said in the Walla Walla episode, that part of Walla Walla is uh, AVA dips into into Oregon so there's all kinds of stuff but Willamette Valley is the biggest and it is the the most famous and it grows all the pinot and that's what we're going to be focused on today. Oregon is a new world wine region and it's kind of rare in the respect that it focuses a lot on this one single grape uh, being Pinot Noir. And it's got a very long storied history. Yeah. So, so I think it's time for Hallie's History Corner. Hallie's History <laughs> Corner. Should we do uh, the history of, of Pinot here, or should we do the history of, of the land? Whoa. Which one should we do first? Um, why, don't we do, why don't we start with the history of the land, okay. since that kind of digs into like a little bit of soil. Oh, right? yeah. Definitely digs yeah. into soil. Okay. So let's do there first, and then we'll get into the, how the people, uh, you know. How the people did here once they got... <laughs> On got the their feet down once it showed up in their wagons oh, from, the, from the trading companies up north. Up north. <laughs> oh, goodness. 
Okay, so if we're gonna if we're gonna think about Oregon, and uh, you know we're gonna think about way way back when Oregon was formed. So this is this is the beginning of Oregon as a place. Um, I don't know why I'm setting it up this way. <laughs> no, it's really mystical. You're kind of like a wizard. You're I'm like wizard. weaving a tale of magic. So. <laughs> the the Willamette Valley itself is is in the western part of Oregon. It's it's about forty miles inland. It runs north to south along the coastline, um, and it's protected by the weather from the Pacific by the coastal range, which is kind of like a series of low mountains. They're not like mega big mountains or anything like that. Um, so we still get a lot of moisture in the valley, but the way that all of the soils and the hills and all this kind of beautiful valley came to be started. A mere 140 million years ago. God, it's so soon. <laughs> it's so soon. So recent. So modern. Um, so basically during the end of the Jurassic and the beginning of the Cretaceous period, uh, I had to look up. I couldn't figure out how to look up prehistoric timelines because I could not think of the word prehistoric. I was like, what are all the timelines of forever in Google? And it was like, no. <laughs> so anyway, so 140 million years ago, Basically, the, the tectonic plate beneath the Pacific basically crashed head-on into North America, and the, the Pacific plate subducted underneath the North American plate, so it pushed the North American plate up, which was previously underneath the sea, and it basically pushed up the seabed to be the mainland. So that is giving us all of the marine sedimentary soils, which are the oldest soils in the Willamette Valley. Um, and they go by the name the Willikensee soils. And then many moons later, um, you know, if we talk about modern, 15 million years ago, <laughs> during the Neogene period, which ne I... Neogene, never... is that sounds like the name of a water bottle. It does. <laughs> the Nalgene period. Oh, there we go. The Nalgene period, yes. <laughs> um, during this time, volcanoes, uh, the, the volcanoes that later formed the Blue Mountains erupted. And they covered all of this now exposed seabed, which wasn't really, nothing was really happening up there, with like about a thousand feet deep of molten lava. Uh, that cooled, turned into basalt, and that became uh, the Willamette Valley's volcanic soils, which are called Jory soils. And then we fast forward to 15, 17,000 years ago, and if you listen to our Walla Walla episode, you're gonna remember the Missoula floods, which basically all these giant ice dams broke in western Montana and giant just walls of water uh, flooded Oregon in, in cold icy ass water <laughs> and they broke down uh, these layers of basalt and they deposited a bunch of rich sediment across the valley so that's known as Los uh, aka laurel wood soils so depending on what AVA you're in um, or what part of the you know the Willamette Valley you're visiting, you're going to encounter at least one of these three soil types. You're going to hear those three names used a lot or depending what AVA, there's going to be a combo of the three. So uh, the cool thing too is that each of these soils imparts kind of a unique flavor into Pinot Noir. I'm going to tell you what those are. So beginning with the old ones, the marine sedimentary soils, um, kind of you can think of it as like a, you know the dark sea it, imp it imparts a lot of dark fruit um, blue black fruit and earthy flavors so think you know blueberries blackberries truffle it's kind of easy to remember and then volcanic soil is also easy to remember you're gonna think bright red fruits like cherry and strawberry um, you know easy to remember because volcano fire lava, lava. <laughs> and then lava is red lava is red and <laughs> Ocean is blue. 
and true. It's a really great. It's a really great way to remember it, you guys. <laughs> and then los um, is you can think of it as floral and spice notes. So kind of this like complex earthiness. Um, so common traits might be rose or white pepper or tobacco. And the the mnemonic that I came up with there is you know fine fine silt soils equals fine spices. Oh. Yeah. So hopefully you can remember those. And if you know if you get into a discussion about soil types, you can be like, oh, I know which one um, might be appearing in this wine because I'm getting these notes. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting today when we, uh, you know, because we're going to try four different wines from four different AVAs. It's all going to be Pinot Noir, so it's going to we're going to get a nice representation of all of those different soils and see if we are actually getting those, you know, typical or standard notes mm-hmm. from a, a particular soil. So this will be uh, fun for us. And and hopefully fun for you when you go buy some and try it yourself. <laughs> exactly, because the best, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, some of the wines that we get, you have to get from wine.com. A lot of these wines, you can go visit the wineries that we're going to be talking about today. You can physically go visit and buy mm-hmm. that wine. And some of it is even uh, in stores. So. Uh, so let's get into some modern history. Oh, yes, modern history. Uh, when people have been birthed <laughs> and have come to the land to destroy it or in, and nurture cultivate it, it, cultivate it at the same time. So let's go a little bit back, I guess, to the 1800s. Uh, we have obviously European settlers coming over to this part of the country to do logging. And there was obviously the gold rush, so there was a lot of industry and things to be mined from the earth here. So all these European settlers came over, they brought like seeds to plant with. So the first grapes that were kind of grown here were not Venus vinifera, um, it, which is the European genus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just, um, you know, regular grapes. But long story short, meaning that like this land, even back then, was um, easy to cultivate, farmable. Farmable? Yeah. I cool. think that's that's a normal <laughs> that's, verb. That's a normal verb. Um, so some of the or first... adjective. Yeah. Wait. Uh-oh. It's real. It's real. It's real. We're making it real. <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> um, so let's talk about like the first Venus 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 Vinifera. Jesus Christ. Say that five times fast. Venice it's Vin- not easy. <laughs> Which was actually brought here vis-a-vis California. The Venice Vinifera that arrived vis-a-vis the... You know, we're already having a hard time talking. Let's just keep throwing just in a bunch of the same letters. It's, it's fine. Um, so yeah, some of the first uh, Venice Vinifera was bought by some brothers, Edward and John Van Pessel. Uh, Shut up. Wait, Van Pessel. The Van Venice Vinifera vis-a-vis the Van Pessels. Yes. <laughs> uh, that is a tongue twister that we're going to attempt to say at the very end of this episode, if we can remember it. We can remember Venice Vinifera vis-a-vis the Vessel Brothers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did it. This is good. It's like, a, it's like helping me warm up. Yeah. <laughs> so they were actually from southern Germany, and yeah. they, um, they didn't bring that per se like vines from Europe like somebody else had brought Venice Vinifera to California and then the Vessel brothers brought up like Zinfandel and Riesling and Sauvignon Blanc from California uh, specifically around the Lodi area up to uh, southern Oregon and then it just kind of um, spread from there pelt beavers dig for gold and then eventually (laughs) grow (laughs) grow vines grow grapes (laughs) um 
So during this 1800s, kind of leading all the way up to the 1900s, it wasn't, you know, again, people weren't really, wasn't known as like a oldie wine region. Oldie? Oldie, but a goodie. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, Prohibition happened. Yeah, bummer. Anything that was kind of like happening around that time was torn up. Um, but people were still kind of growing um, grapes that they would sell as juice to other people who would then like secretly ferment it and turn it into <laughs> wine. Um, it's just juice, I swear. <laughs> it's just juice, Prohibition officer. Uh, so post-Prohibition, there was this uh, kind of resurgence and organ of, of something called the farmer wineries. Hmm. So post-Prohibition, the first organ bonded winery license was for production in 1934. And then over the next four years, uh, there was 28 more of these licenses allowed. And it was to make a light table wine from the fruit that they grew. So there was this kind of like post, it was pre-World War II, post-Prohibition, four-year period, where everyone's like, oh yeah, wineries, this can like be a thing here. This could be profitable. (laughs) Why so few licenses? I don't know. Uh, I did not dig into that issue, but I think it was just... You know, with any sort of new thing mm-hmm. happening, some there's always going to be a group of people that are like, no, 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 about that. And yeah. A few that are like, try a few. I'm going to go for it. Um, but unfortunately, it couldn't, um, the wine that was getting produced in Oregon during this period really couldn't compete with the California prices. Mm. So a lot of them didn't find it very profitable and profitable in the long run and quit. Um, but if you hung around, uh, one of the big ones from the 30s was a winery called Honeywood. Um, and then not much really happened until the 1960s, which is where we kind of start talking about modern, the birth of modern Oregon winemaking. Yeah. Uh, as we know, this kind of like renaissance in uh, the 1960s. And people were uh, attracted to Oregon because of the climate that was here. It was very similar to other uh, European regions. And then also just the amount of land and yeah. the location of the land. Yeah. Um, was was like i said really attractive it's just such a sexy land it's a really sexy (laughs) land like so i've been watching this new season of top chef which i'm not gonna spiel on about too much but like (laughs) it's cool because they're going into the columbia gorge and things like that and every time the chefs go out they're just like holy shit this is beautiful and you're kind of like yeah actually oregon land is like really sexy and like Oregon government has done a really good job of preserving a lot of the land so that it's not, you know, a suburban sprawl or overdeveloped. So come give it a look. Yeah, come give it a look. It's also the reason why Keep we that. build we build up in Portland yes. and not out and why exactly. home prices, prices are, here are insane. insane <laughs> we're not, you know, throwing strip malls on every barren piece of land possible <clears throat> southwest. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so in 1961, a graduate of UC Davis, which is the famous uh, viticulture school in California, Richard Summer, uh, planted some Riesling and a few other varietals at Hillcrest in the Umpqua Valley, which is actually south of the Willamette Valley. Uh, and then four years later, he buddied up with another guy who came from UC Davis named David Lett. Papa Pino! Papa Pino! <laughs> Papa Pino. And he was just like... Mm, I want to do this grape and we're going to do it here in the Willamette Valley. And it was a, I don't know if it was the plot of the land or the winery that they called the Erie. Oh, I did, I looked that up. Um, the Erie is named after, I think it's kind of tied to the land because it's named after um, the red-tailed hawks that lived near the vineyard site. And Erie means a large nest of a bird of prey that's high up in a tree or a cliff. 
Wow. Isn't that cool? That's super yeah. cool. Um, so yeah, everyone was like, you're nuts. It's too wet here. Yeah. What are you doing? And, and he was like, I believe that vines are, or rather that grapes are better when they're like stressed out and, and grow in marginal conditions. And then I think, and then some other people were like, yeah, I kind of am following what David Lett is putting down. And then we had some other uh, wineries start popping up kind of in the late 60s, like Knudsen, Erath, Okno, Tualatin, Ponzi, Amity, Edelsheim, uh, just to name a few. So those are some of the kind of historic beginning uh, wineries. I think, I don't know if Knudsen Knudsen is around anymore. I don't know if if they are either. And I think, yeah. And Ponzi just got bought by Bollinger, actually. It did. I know Tualatin. I've been to Tualatin. I think, I don't know if Amity's still around. Edelsheim's definitely still around. Mm. Oh, Um, it's also a lot of, like, fruit wine also. Or they used to do a lot of fruit wine for this ancient book that I was looking at. (laughs) They do a lot of brandy, too. And they did a lot of pear brandy and fruit brandies. But um, there's still some pear brandy. And I guess because of... Uh, the fires this last year, a lot of a lot of brandy producers bought grapes that were unusable for wine and, and made a lot of brandy. That would make sense because, yeah. you know, some people like that smoky note in their, uh, mm-hmm. you know, distilled spirits. We can alcohol. we can try some pear brandy that I've got a little bit later. Shut the, your face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like I said, people uh, in the 60s thought everyone was crazy because of the climate. <laughs> And what that climate is, is it's considered a moderate temperature. It is a little bit cooler and wetter here than in Washington and California. Um, But as we mentioned earlier, the coast range is there. And that kind of acts as a, my favorite wine term, rain shadow. Which prevents um, excess rainfall from getting into the valley. Um, And so most, and another aspect is, you know, it only really rains here in the winter. Yeah, you know? in the off season. So and that's when uh, vines are dormant anyway, and they're not going to be, you know, potentially mm-hmm. trying to soak all that up. Um, so anyway, the climate is just ideal for a slow ripening variety. Like nice and know, cool at night. Like if you go out into the Willamette Valley during the summertime, most nights you'll need a jacket or, you know, pants. <laughs> Pants. You mean I can't go out to the Willamette Valley at night in my shorts? <laughs> Adrian, uh, what? it's not worth living. It's not worth living. I can't wear my shorts. I can't wear my shorts. <laughs> you know, you know, there's that guy out there that actually is a piss because he wears shorts. He wears year shorts. Round. Year-round shorts man, we know you're out there. Year-round shorts man with the Keens. With the Keens. Yes. <laughs> shorts with the Keens. With the Keens. <laughs> And the Nelgene. And the Nelgene. <laughs> Next thing you know. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, anyway, so growing, growing, growing. You know, the scene is bursting in the Willamette family. Willamette family? The is Willamette the family, family in the valley. I have so many tongue twisters <laughs> happening in my mouth today. I'm loving it. <laughs> so in the early 2000s, everyone kind of got together and was just like, you know what? We all kind of have, like, we're, we're a Willamette Valley family, but and at the same time, we also kind of got our own little thingies going on. Yeah, and this land's pretty special. So let's all 
break us out into other AVAs. Yes, they kind of like all banded together to be like, well, this this site over here is different from this site. And they essentially in 2002 submitted petitions to the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau, which gave birth to uh, the six main AVAs of Portland. I mean, Portland. (laughs) Of the Willamette Valley. Um, Now, nowadays there's actually nine. Um, So in 2005, we got the Dundee Hills uh, Ribbon Ridge and the McMinnville AVAs and then one year later we got the Eola Amity and the Shehalem Mountains and then there's been a continued push to further recognize unique lands um, so we added three more AVAs within the past three years in 2019 we got the Van Duzer Corridor AVA which is just west of Eola Amity and then in 2020 we got the Laurelwood and the Tualatin Hills AVAs so there's nine AVAs in the Willamette Valley which Technically, the Willamette Valley is also its own AVA. So they're all sub-AVAs of the Willamette Valley. And then the Van Duzer Corridor actually comes up a lot in relation to all of the other AVAs because when we're talking about the Van Duzer Corridor, it's actually a split in the mountains, which actually allows... Isn't it like a little wetter in the Van Duzer, I want to say? Because it doesn't have quite the rain shadow protecting it. It definitely gets all of the like cool winds that that come off of the Pacific. So it kind of allows all that cool wind to come in because it's a little bit less... um, Like it's hilly down there, but it's not in the mountains kind of like Shehalem is and so it kind of helps it, it cool down and maintain acidity down there but I don't know about the moisture it probably probably lets more moisture in for yeah. sure yeah I'm wondering if they also probably grow that's like a Chardonnay probably oh, from I there I bet and um I think they grow a lot of wheat down there too oh yeah wheat 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 <laughs> for the bread <laughs> uh all right so and because we're talking about Pinot Noir, another thing that you're going to hear when you go to these wineries isn't just people nerding out about soil. They're also going to be nerding out about something called clones. Clones. Just like the <laughs> multiplicity movie starring Michael <laughs> Keaton, Annie McDowell. What a you know what? People shat on that movie, but it was pretty funny, especially when Michael Keaton's playing four different versions of himself with varying intelligence. And then he gets to the fourth clone, which is a clone of a clone, and it's like shaving his tongue. Oh my god. I was like, <laughs> I don't care if this is done diaper humor. I'm here, I'm here for, it. for it. I'm here for it. I'm always here for my Michael Keaton. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so like basically Pino, um, I mean, along with being super finicky, super thin-skinned, under-ripening in off-seasons, rot-prone, it's also hella genetically unstable. It's a real problem, child. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, which which you can totally get because technically Pinot Blanc and Pinot Gris are the same grape; they're just mutations. So, clones are have been created of of Pinot Noir to adapt to to different areas and and work better in certain sites. Um, so you're gonna hear. The Dijon clones, the Pomard clones, um, which are both from France, and then there's a Swiss one. Wadensville. Wadensville. I was like, <laughs> I can't pronounce this. And technically, they're each supposed to have their own unique characteristics, but sight and climate's probably going to have a bit more of an impact. But you can totally tell the difference a little bit if people kind of clue you into what they're using. Um, a lot of those Dijon clones have just like real sexy ass names like 115 or 777. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't know if those are correct. <laughs> I know 777 is right. Like but. who allowed that scientist to do that? <sighs> 
like, come on. Come on. A si- it, that's because it came from a scientist. I mean, talk to one of your artist friends and be like, hey, Jim. Um, let's call this. Let's name this. Can, I, I, all I can think of is the numbers. Can you just like, can we call this one like Donna? I was like, I don't know. I'd like, Donna? I guess Jim didn't pick up that day. <laughs> Jim, Jim, I need another clone name. Jim, why won't you pick up? Jim never answered the phone, Dad. Jim they? never answered the phone. <laughs> that's why we have numbered clones. <laughs> Uh, all right. All right, let's get into our delicious, delicious wines. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I guess I'm going first, yeah? Yay! I sure am, and I'm here to talk about... We're only talking about four of the little yeah. sub-ABAs today, um, but they're great ones. They're real good ones. So I will be talking about the Yamhill Carlton ABA, established 2004... Uh, I believe... Can you check, double-check your notes double over there, your notes. Um... <laughs> I didn't write down Yamhill. <gasps> so I'm going to believe that. Um, it came straight from the Yamhill Carlton ABA website. So yeah, I hope it's right. <laughs> I think that's probably. <laughs> it's also, is it the biggest one or is Shahalem the biggest? I don't, it, I have the. It's real big. It's pretty big. Uh, and we'll get into the facts in a second. Cool. Um, so Yamhill Carlton is called this because um, also slightly uncreative. The, it's around these two towns <laughs> or hamlets of Yamhill and Carlton. So this is a little like northwest of the Dundee Hills, which is uh, another one we're going to be talking about. The soils here are actually the most ancient marine ones Whoa. of the uh, AVAs. Cool. Uh, so they're pretty coarse. Um, they're very quick draining and uh, this AVA sh- uh, forms like a horseshoe shape uh, in the valley. Yes. No, yeah. wait, that kind of really worked. <laughs> yeah, it did. Da, da, da. <laughs> oh, man. I'm finally that asshole. It finally happened. Somebody, aka me, did not turn their phone off I don't prior care. to recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a good sound effect. Thanks, phone. <laughs> So, um, of this horseshoe, the vineyards are kind of uh, planted on the south-facing slopes to get the good sun. And there's also a, uh, the North Yamhill River kind of flows through this horseshoe. And as we've talked about before, rivers are great for vineyards because it really helps, um, you know, give off cool air when the vineyards need it and just kind of helps moderate the temperature in those areas. So yes, 2,500 acres. Damn. With 52 wineries. Damn. Um, and 110 vineyards. That's a lot. So obviously, you know, vineyard doesn't always equate winery. Some right. wineries buy from vineyards. They don't have their own land. Uh, and so Pinot from here is going to have much more of that because it's the marine sedimentary that Adrian mm-hmm. was talking about. This is going to have a much more like lush black fruit berries. Mm-hmm. So blackberry black cherry and then the tertiary notes on this one are going to be more um like food food notes like coffee and clove Mm. um and typically the acidity is going to be a little bit lower because we don't have we're not dealing with the big red ripe fruits from other avas and it's also going to have a deeper color as well Mm -hmm. i really noticed that that between the two soil types was the color like the the marine sedimentary soil wines are really dark almost kind of purpley i mean they're still light bodied but yeah you can really tell the difference in color yeah so that's yamhill carlton in a nutshell yeah (laughs) yamhill so what uh our first wine today is a 2015 pinot noir uh from angela estate 
And they um, have a couple different clones. They do Wadenswil, they do Dijon 777, and Dijon 115. Uh, so the producer here is actually a, a South, he came from a South African winemaking situation. 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 <laughs> uh, and his wife is named Angela, and what a guy. He just named his company after his wife. Give what a him guy. Husband of the Year Award. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and his head, one, uh, head winemaker is Ken Wright, uh, and they founded oh, Angela Estate in 2006. Uh, I wish I could tell you a little bit more about this wine, but unfortunately, it looks like Angela Estate kind of rebranded. Yeah, and, and like <laughs> they just don't have a lot of information about their older wines anymore. It's very bizarre. Yeah, it's like they kind of like wiped their slate clean, and I don't really know why. So yeah. maybe we can find out what happened there. Maybe different maybe owners. Maybe they got bought out. What if, what if, what if he divorced Angela? God, <laughs> I don't know. Angela left. Angela left, but it's still well. It's still, it's still, still called, called Angela. Angela. Yeah. I can't. I mean, if you unbrand that much, then people. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, what the hell? Who that? But basically, um, we can probably assume that this wine was in some neutral, and or maybe some new French oak. Uh, that's another thing about. Willamette Valley Pinot Noir is the winemakers mostly are using neutral or new yeah. French oak. Oh, yeah, this one is. Oh, oops, excuse what? me. <clears throat> I like how I put my. I did tasting notes last night, and it's like way over on this other side. Yeah, I <laughs> I start to run out of room, and then I'm like going sideways, and yeah. So um, on the nose. Even though this is like really, like I said before, how many more times can I say really? Really, really! Really, really, really! Uh, I'm trying to, what am I trying to get out here? Like stewed fruits, so like raspberry <laughs> jam, black cherry. Um, there's a little bit of fresh tilled earth. Um, black cherry. Yeah, very black cherry. But then when you taste it, um, more of that like kind of darker fruit comes out. Mm-hmm. So this one has some really nice bright kind of tannins juxtaposed mm-hmm. against like this dark cherry black tea it's just a very complex velvety mm. wine they're so nicely balanced and <laughs> i brought this wine today because this was uh on a trip that me and adrian did mm-hmm. back when we were just starting the podcast yeah. so i thought it would be a fun special occasion wine you know you want to keep pinot forever Ugh. um i have such a hard time opening my pinots <laughs> just always like but this one is so special i know i know i was kind of when i was looking at all the pinot i have for this episode i was just like you know yeah i could save this for a special yeah. occasion or this but um this is a special occasion we're highlighting hey. this wine re- regaling our experience and mm-hmm. i'm enjoying it with with my friend with my friend oh yeah really Really luxuriant tongue <laughs> rapage. <laughs> it's uh, nice. I like that descriptor, bright tannins. It's they really do kind of lift everything up and almost in kind of like an orangey way. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes tannins can be a little like heavy and mm-hmm. tongue tongue sucky, and this is not that at all. It's just like this perfect. You know, I know we you overuse perhaps the phrase well-balanced a lot mm-hmm. in wine, but it is such a hallmark descriptor of a quality wine, so there's no harm in saying it, yeah. I think, enough. <laughs> and I think it's something that especially is very distinct when you can kind of 
detect it in pinots because the pinots from from Oregon are so much fuller bodied and kind of richer. I wouldn't say super saturated, but they're definitely more fruit forward than the ones that you're going to get from Burgundy, which are very spice driven, a little bit more linear. And so when you find, you know, Willamette Valley Pinots that ha strike that balance of like super bright acid um, and but still have that beautiful rounded fruit flavor, you can really notice it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Vinifera. Vis a vis the Vistle Brothers. <laughs> I did it! Yes! <laughs> oh, I have a hard time spitting this stuff out. Uh, don't. Just don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well. We got a second while you talk about our next AVA yeah. anyway. Let's move on to uh, the second AVA that we're going to be focusing on, which is going to be the Shehalem Mountains, which uh. is uh, such a beautiful area home to, to many wonderful founding wineries. Um, so the Shehalem Mountains ABA can, corresponds and is named after, you guessed it, the Shehalem Mountains. Oh, somebody <laughs> didn't call Jim for a naming. Jim was just AWOL. <laughs> Jim was AWOL. He wasn't around to help these science nerds creatively name their things. <laughs> it's basically a, a single uplifted landmass, which is think a silly way to refer to a mountain but yes that is how they <laughs> refer to it it stretches about 20 miles um and it includes the sub avas of ribbon ridge and the new one laurelwood ava um, and you're going to find all three main soil types represented here and basically depending on the site you're going to find more or less of those soil types so you're going to get marine sedimentary you're going to get um volcanic and you're going to get uh lose as well the highest point in the willamette valley is bald peak which is part of the shehala mountains and um, that affects a lot of temperature variation in the area um and you know really brings like a lot of cool weather to the grapes at the foothills of the mountains um so yeah we're gonna try another place that hallie and i visited this was more recently um Called Arlen Winery, which we just busted out, bust out in Arlen. I actually got this when I visited again with my parents. I was like, I gotta get more Arlen. <laughs> <laughs> and we just had such a good time. It's a beautiful property in the Shehala Mountains along the Ribbon Ridge. And it's basically right across the street from Adelsheim. Um, they practice biodynamic farming, which is really cool. Uh, it's a live working farm with actual sheep that you can look at and kind of pet if they come close enough to the fence. Uh, previously, they were just a grower. Now they're a grower producer and they were founded in 2012. Um, the, the founding woman is Janice Pate. I don't know if that's how you say her last name. And Arlen is Celtic for promise or oath, which I think is cool. Yeah. And they and so this wine specifically uh, is the 2018 In Good Faith. Um, it's it's on. It was grown on marine sedimentary, aka Willackenzie soils, and it's 13%. I should finish my other wine first. Mm. 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 <laughs> You're gonna see there's the dark, dark color of this wine. Even though it's not a very full-bodied wine, it's just so purple. Oh yeah. It's really beautiful. Um, That's lovely. It's almost kind of got like a fuchsia kind of rim yeah. a little bit but yeah uh, 
what's this type of purple that I'm looking at? Oh, it's not like an inky purple. It's lovely. It's really nice. What is it? It's almost like this wine Bible color. Oh, like kind of a maroony, plummy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is the color of the wine Bible. And it has these very intense notes of like, I honestly, I read off the website, the description, and I was like, actually, those are, yeah, I'm getting all of this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like blackberry and brambles, iron. I got some some olive and cinnamon as well. So very just like dark kind of um, savory notes. It's like a little bit of like kind of dried, I hate the word potpourri because potpourri is like gross and right. But like if you just have some like dried rose, it's mm -hmm. not as intense as rose oil or an actual rose. It's like the subtle, yeah, subtle rose. Like rose hips or something. Yes. I could totally see that. Um, but yeah, it's just a very, you can really just just tell the, the kind of dark fruits and things like that in this wine. It's great. I'm really liking a lot of, a lot of the 2018s I think were released mm -hmm. this year and, or last year. And I'm, I think it was a great vintage uh, for the wine valley. Yeah. So yeah, enjoy. You can really kind of tell the difference, especially we're going to be moving into the Dundee and the Eola Amity areas, which are going to be volcanic soils. So you're really going to be able to tell the difference between these first two, which are those dark fruits, with the next two, which are going to be more red fruit. Yeah. And it's nice because we're going to have like a little kind of vintage comparison too mm -hmm. on the same type of soil. So we just had a 2015 and a 2018, so a couple year difference yeah. here. Similar soil type. Um, <sighs> delicious. <clears throat> delicious. Delicious. All right, so we are now headed into the Dundee Hills. Ah, the Dundee Hills. Which, surprise, surprise, near the towns of Dundee, Dundee. Ah, and Dayton. Ah, the, the double Ds of the valley. But you notice they did not call this AVA the Dundee Dayton AVA. <laughs> the Dundee Hills called Jim. Jim gave a great suggestion. He's said, like, just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Call it the Dundee Hills. <laughs> so... Uh, as indicated in the name, this is a small group of hills. <laughs> uh, about 70,000 acres. And this was the first place that uh, Pinot Noir was planted by Papa Pinot, David Lett. Mm -hmm. And later on, uh, the Burgundy Connection got established here. Um, Joseph Druhin, from, who, was a, who came from a famous negotiant family in Burgundy, established Domaine Druhin out here in the 1980s. So... Um, the Western and the European forces unite in the Dundee Hills. And became a superpower. A superpower a, of Pinot. A epicenter, many say, <laughs> of the production of Pinot Noir. <laughs> Tune in. <laughs> Tune in to hear me talk now about the soils. Yes. Which, uh, these are comprised of the volcanic basalt, rich in iron, and um, relatively pretty and fertile here. So, uh, they will not be making any babies. <laughs> I just think it's weird that we, like, refer to soil in terms of, like, fertility. fertility. I like, know. Mm, it's, it's weird. It's, it's Let's retire these terms, please. Like it's like the earth and a womb. I know, like, Mother Earth. Bleh, like, there's yeah. some, like, symbolism there. But, like, come on. A womb let's and just, the dirt are different things. Different things. Let's just say rich. Say rich. Non-rich. Non, non Non-rich. <laughs> Baron? Baron? No, damn it! That's also <laughs> another fertility term. Damn it! <laughs> anyway, 
so the Dundee Hills, the Dundee Hills, the Dundee Hills, are where we kind of first get these uh, flavor markers, notes of forest floor mm. and brambly and kind of mushroom unami mm. uh, paired with the red fruits like uh, cherry, raspberry, strawberry, and uh, I would even dare say cranberry sometimes. Mm-hmm. So uh, this, the hills are protected by the Shehala Mountains uh, and the Shehala Mountains protect the area from the cold air that comes in from the Columbia Gorge. Cool. So there are currently uh, 41 wineries here uh, and there's 21 vineyards. Very nice. So again, this is the the Dundee Hills are kind of like the I almost said motherland, but that would just be a hypocritical to what we just said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, you know, Pinot Noir production. So let's taste the wine. Yeah. All right. What do we got? Now we are going to try. This is another wine that I got when me and Adrian were out tasting together. We went to like a spring release at Elizabeth Chambers in McMinnville. Oh yeah, that so was this, such a fun day. It was a very fun day. So this is from Windrulia, uh, which their vineyards were. Well, the vineyards were the vineyards that they get the fruit from were planted in the 70s on the Jory soils, which are the volcanic soils. And Winderlea, what they do is they actually buy grapes from a bunch of different families. Mm. Um, so they actually have wine not only from the Dundee Hills, but from a couple of the other APAs. So this yeah. is a producer that's going to have wine from all, you know, could mm-hmm. have one from EML Carlton, could have one uh, from McMinnville, where they're kind of located. <clears throat> so their head winemaker is Robert Britton, who actually has his own wine oh, label, Britton Cellars. Yeah. So you'll see that... Um, quite a bit in the Willamette Valley is a winemaker will have his own label, but then also be hired out to do contract yeah. work for somebody that just wants to have a winery and a label. And Like Ken Wright is a big name down there. Yeah. Yeah, Ken Wright. And then, yeah, so Robert Britton, he um, has a very long history. He's worked a lot of places, but the most notable one for people will probably be uh, Stag's Leap uh, from <sighs> Napa. Which is one of those, yeah. Which I think Stag's Leap was one of the red wines from for the judgment of paris i think you're right so i don't know if he, he's not that old i don't think there's he made that of, wine there's also a lot of leaping animals there's like stags leap frogs, frogs leap, leap duck, duck pond duck horn duck elk <laughs> duck elk let's duck start, elk let's, let's start a winery called duck elk and it's just gonna be like a it's duck just gonna on be, an elk yeah they're just gonna be like smashed together <laughs> like a terrifying like chimera oh my god i love it Great idea. <laughs> um, anyway, so what, what what about this wine? Well, we have a little bit more information on this one versus my other one. So this one I actually spent 10 months in French oak, uh, 20% of it, uh, which was new. Awesome. Yes. Uh, what else do I have about this one? <laughs> I guess that's all I wrote down. Let's try it. Let's give it a shot. Let's put it in our mouth. Let's put it in our tongue. Put it in our tongues, gross, Hallie. In your tongues, <laughs> inject it in your tongue. Now you got a wine tongue. <laughs> We're getting weird, we, I guess. This, yeah, it's well, Memorial Day weekend, y'all. We are. It's hot. It's hot Warm. out. We're weird. Look how. Oh, it's so red. It's super red. It's, it's almost a little bricky color. Yeah, it's I, I like a little bit of orange. You kind of like a Nebbiolo, right? <laughs> it <feels> so good. <laughs> this one. Um, 
Yeah, super red fruit on this one. Fresh red cherry. I get, I get a lot of potting soil on this one. Ooh. I get raspberry. I also get a little spicy paprika action happening. Yeah, like a sweet paprika. I can mm -hmm. totally see that. And then um, on the palate, I kind of got cranberry sauce, uh, strawberry fruit leather, mm. a little bit of like savory sun-dried tomato, like, mm. and then just, just yeah, straight cherry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this one doesn't have quite the tannins that the other one has. No, they're kind of very, they're like, hi, just want to come in and tell you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd also like to let you know that if you don't call us back about your car's extended warranty, you could risk prosecution. And if you if you want to act now, you could give us your social security number. Uh, that will uh, help speed up our process. Uh, also, in addition to your social security number, if you could also uh, send us a wire transfer <laughs> for $10,000, I think that'll take care of any future legal fees. All, this, yeah, all of these issues, it'll just be upfront paid for. Oh, did I also mention um, that your airbags are oh, defective? Yeah, defective. Yeah. You should take care of that immediately. If you want to wire us an additional $2,500, we can... Uh, mail you new airbags. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we that, were terrible at fraud. <laughs> I got a real weird one the other day that was like, oh man, I can't even remember it now. Maybe I'll remember it by the end, but it was like, it was a very like, warning, you're like about to be deported or something <laughs> crazy. And what? I was like, what? You're about to be I was like, okay. Uh, yeah. It's it's terrifying. Anyways, yeah, these um, these tannins are like a you know like a real weak attempt at fraud. <laughs> yeah, that is a great way to explain <laughs> these tannins and, and this wonder uh, wonderlia. But it has a lot of nice acid. Yeah, I think um, my comparison of these two is I actually kind of prefer the Angela Estate a little bit more, yeah. just because. Um, not that this, I'm not gonna. This one isn't flat. I no. just like the uh, I like the tannins more mm -hmm. in the Angela. Um, yeah, you like the structure a little bit more. Yeah, this one is very. I want food with this one. This one's very like it's just it's very forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot of you know looking around for extra flavor notes or, or profile or anything, but it's great. Mm -hmm. What do we got next well, on our yeah. EVAs? That was a really nice visit to the Dundee Hills, and now we're gonna go down to the Eola Amity, which is just a real fun bunch of vowels. It is. <laughs> Eola Amity. Let me guess, was it named after the hamlets of Eola and Amity? <laughs> <laughs> yep. The rolling Eola Hills and Amity Hills. Nope, which nobody are called Jim ends. on that one either. Nobody called Jim. Jim. Anybody? Jim. Maybe Jim had an accident. Oh boy. So. Um, the old Amity AVA is adjacent to the Willamette River. 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 Jesus, old man. River. Um, it's predominantly jory soils down here, so that volcanic basalt uh, with some marine sedimentary rocks and alluvial deposits. It's really good draining soil. Um, and it's the Van Duzer corridor, which we mentioned before, is just west of it. So that allows the, the coastal range break, allows for the, the winds to come in from the Pacific Ocean and cool this region. So this is really, I mean, we didn't really talk about how much Pinot is grown in each place. It's obviously Pinot dominant in each AVA, but the, here is like almost 80% of Pinot. Uh, and there's so many good wineries. I love all of the AVAs, but 
I some of these are my favorites. Like um, Christum is an older winery that is mm -hmm. so good down here. Um, I love violin wines. Check those out. Uh, Project M is down here, which oh, is another one Project that we M really liked. Yeah, yeah, they do a lot of fun stuff with like Riesling and sparkling wines. Sokol Blosser. Um, I could. We, you could just like name wineries for days because everything down here is so great. Um, what we're going to be drinking today, however, is a winery that I had never tried before um, called Vincent Winery. This is a 2017 Pinot Noir, and I, I looked up a little bit of information. The winemaker, his name is Vincent Fritsch. Fritsch? I don't, I don't know if that's how you say it. It's R-F-R-I-T-Z-S-C-H-E. Fritschy? Fritschy? Getting freaky with Fritchie? Yeah, getting freaky with Fritchie. <laughs> um, Vincent makes Pinot Noir, Chard, uh, Pinot Blanc, Gamay, and even some red wine from Pinot Grigio. Oh, he makes Gamay. I know. A lot of a lot of winemakers are starting to make Gamay Thank now. Oh, God. Please do. There's a... Uh, I had a really good one from the Ribbon Ridge the other day that was... It's only 20 bucks. It's like, that's the thing, too, is, you know, Pinot down here is so good, and it's... So so like notoriety, like it's it's just uh, oh my god, why can't I think of the word? It's famous, it's famous, yeah. and it's expensive as shit. So <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to get a bottle under twenty five dollars, and if you want something good, you're sometimes spending thirty, thirty five, forty, um, which is fine because it's all great. You see it all over the world on wine menus, but like literally. This sounds like a, a humble brag, but it's like when I was in Tokyo, I went to like a famous bar in Tokyo and they had under their Pinot section in the wine menu, a bunch of Oregon wineries. And I was like, yeah, represent. How much were they? Oh, probably a oh, God, I can't even remember. Cause it was, I think it was, they were, they must've been a fortune. I didn't take a picture. I should have taken a picture. Mm, yeah, cause I mean, that's a, I mean, Man Manhattan was easily like fifteen or twenty dollars. So, <laughs> so yeah, I bet that they were at least a hundred, if not more. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, but um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna talk more on the yeah, price point on on these. Mm -hmm. I would say that even like a a non like reserve one is can get you all the way up to fifty, and once oh, yeah. you start getting into like you know. We've said it before, but I'll just say it again. Say it again. For all you people in the back who were listening the first yeah. time. So, like, Reserva is a term that doesn't really have a specific meaning <laughs> in New World wine regions, and especially in the United States, where people basically slap it on the label just yeah. to mean, like, these were some wine that came from, like, the winemaker's favorite barrels. It doesn't necessarily mean longer aging or anything like anything that, but it special could. Or any, like, different techniques. It just means they like it. Yeah, so reserve ones will put you more in, like, that, like, 75. I've even seen that shit at 90. Dang. Dang. But anyway, sorry, back to Vincent. Oh, yeah. Um, well, what I was going to say is that it's fun to see um, other kind of, like, Burgundy-adjacent um, varietals being grown in the Willamette Valley because these people who have really established vineyards and winemaking practices are experimenting with things like Gamay, which is cheaper. And so you can get like a really good bottle of, you know, Gamay for 15 or $20 from these wineries. And it's dang tasty. Nice. Anyways, so this one, still Pinot though. Um, the winery is named after the Spanish patron saint of vintners, St. Vincent, and the wheat shaft on the label is representative of bread, but also, I just got into a little 
They had a cute story. I got it the little wormhole. They also pays homage to scent in the name because the old Lincoln wheat penny was first minted in 1909, 100 years before Vincent's first vintage in 2009. Oh. That's cute. That's cute. That's cute. I got hung uh, up when you said wheat shaft. Wheat shaft. <laughs> shaft. Because I'm gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a shaft one. <laughs> it's real, uh, real structured and uh, standing straight up. Um, <laughs> this wine is aged in uh, French oak. Uh, 16 to 18 months, no new oak on this wine. Mm. So probably two to three-year-old barrels. Um, and let's give it a pour. Oh, yes, please. <clears throat> so this is the, the southernmost ABA in the Willamette Valley, yeah? I think technically Van Duzer is a little bit... Ex- well, actually, no. I think it is. I think you're right. I think Eola Amity stretches uh, the most south. So this is delicious. Oh, very bright red. Very bright red. Um, has a very just red red fruits kind of jump out at you um, right as you take a whiff, like cherry and red plum and even some apple. Oh, yeah, like red apple skin for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you get some fresh herbs, like maybe not quite marjoram, but something. What the fuck is marjoram? Marjoram's like a... <laughs> kind of a an herb that gets used a lot with uh like mediterranean food like lamb and stuff like that it's not quite minty but it's almost minty gotcha yeah spices that i got i definitely feel like i got some Mm. clove on the palate like yeah like a christmas celebration Mm -hmm. in my mouth there's lots of spice in this Mm -hmm. one it's like a little bit of like zesty like cinnamon stick yeah um but oh, the tannins Some, are like, like pink little, peppercorn. Oh, there's a little bit of cranberry on the palate mm-hmm. too. It's kind of a little drying. Yeah, like tart cranberry situation happening. I'm really, I really dig this wine because it's. Um, I feel like sometimes you get a real fruit bomb with the the stuff that's in the Eola Amadeira that's grown on those Jory soils, and this one I feel like just maintains this brightness that I I really like. So yeah, I, this is the I think like the brightest example yeah. we've we've had as far as the bu- reddest. Bu- <laughs> this is the reddest of the wine. The reddest, the <laughs> white. The, that's not the word I was trying to say. I was saying the reddest and the whitest. <laughs> um, this is not a white wine, <laughs> but that's where my mind went. But it's pretty light bodied. That's what I. That's what I was trying yeah, to get yeah, through. Yeah. Like it's the light. It's not full bodied. It's it's one of the lighter bodied mm. of the ones that we've tried, and even it's. Not as opaque, like yeah, it's, as the other ones. It's very yeah. When you do that, like little test, it's very light ruby. Everything else is kind of like a has a little bit of a tint to it. Ah, uh, so yeah, Lima Valley, it's just beautiful. Yeah, sorry we took so long to get to you. Yeah, we were just busy learning about other stuff. We got excited about the other regions, but it feels good to come back home. It does, and now we should rate our wines and play seven things. Yay! <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you rate these? I know. I kind of feel like a monster rating them. Maybe we should just each pick a favorite, like we did with Walla Walla. Okay, let's do that. Okay. I'm gonna pick the Vincent. Oh, that really, was your favorite. That was my favorite. It was just unexpected. I really enjoyed it, but I mean, it would be a hard toss-up between Angela and um, and Arlen after that. Yeah, I am kind of leaning towards. I don't know. 
I just really like this and mm -hmm. so I think I'm gonna I remember we kind of just almost like came upon that winery mm -hmm. you were like oh this is on my list and let's just stop here before we go to our other ones and we were just so blown away so yeah I hope that even though they've gone under hella rebranding that they've maintained whatever magic they have. Yes, me too. We'll have to go back and mm -hmm. interrogate them and offer them an extended <laughs> warranty on their cars and warn them about their defective airbags. <laughs> have them wire us money. Also their, uh, yeah. so their expired credit cards. and. Uh... Yep. <laughs> All right, Hallie. <laughs> oh! Seven things that you would do with your Angela estate uh, 2015 Yamhill Carlton wine. <laughs> um, I would reenact the indecent proposal uh, money scene where, oh. but it would be with Monopoly money. <laughs> Very nice. Just, just roll around in Monopoly money, all like mm, sexy, like <laughs> sexy, and then like you know if you're a little too sweaty because it's paper, it'll stick to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That would happen to me. Me too. I ran out of deodorant this oh. weekend. One. <laughs> Michael was like, you can use mine. I was like, okay, I'll smell like a man. Yeah. That's fine. Before I discovered the Arm and Hammer, because I don't like any That's first friends. That's what I, would, I love. Yes. I would use, because I could not find a woman's deodorant that didn't have fucking, fucking aluminum in it. Yes. So I was using Old Spice, like the least <laughs> offensive of Old Spice, you know, because it didn't have aluminum in it. Yeah. And then finally, I found the Arm and Hammer one, and I was like, yes, I don't Ugh. smell like a man anymore. Totally, totally. <laughs> I fucking, yeah, I love that stuff. Oh, my God, Old Spice. Talk about old flames. <laughs> the original <laughs> Old Spice. <laughs> uh, I would call up an old flame. And I would... Uh, yeah, you would. I'd say, hey, how's it going? Hey. And they'd be good, and I'd be like, cool, and then hang up. <laughs> Uh, and they try to call you back and be like, was that? And you're like, I, nope. Nope. That was it. That's, that That's was the exchange. The, extent the last time you ever, ever spoke to. Uh, I'd go to safe cracking school. Cool. <laughs> I don't know if it's a real thing, but they do rob a lot of banks in old movies. <laughs> and that's always the thing that takes the longest time. We watched Point Break the other weekend. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. Safe takes a long time. So you gotta learn how to crack that shit fast. That's true, it depends on what type. Is it double wall steel? Does it have a six? <laughs> Does it have a double barrel uh, lock lock chamber? Yep. yep, double barrel lock chamber, that's a real thing. <laughs> Wait, is it? I think so. Uh, uh, three. Uh, and I would <clears throat> get a coloring book. Oh. And not color it. Just look at it. Just look at it. <laughs> Just read it. Just read it. Like, seriously, though, like, I'm reading the paper. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, know? over breakfast with a cup of coffee. Like, <laughs> I, yes, this butterfly is enjoying the garden. <laughs> can you can you believe this? This bear can't reach the honey out of this tree. <laughs> That's what bears do. Can you he needs to go to honey school. <laughs> oh, I would uh, become a beekeeper. <gasps> cool. Yeah. I have a, a brother-in-law who keeps bees and oh. they move they're moving to florida and we were like are you gonna take the bees with you will i mean there could be some real florida man shit with those bees going oh, on hell yeah like someone's gonna take it i don't think they're allowed in the condo that they bought i would hope not yeah <laughs> and then, so we asked my uncle we were like could we keep 
Could he keep the bees at your property? Knowing that like full well he would say no. And my uncle is very cranky. His name is Barry. <laughs> Barry the cranky uncle. Yep, exactly. Um, and he was like, I don't want any fucking bees in my place. <laughs> I agree with Barry, I think. Yeah, I think Barry's on to something there. Got a there. point. Um, anyways. Was that five or six? Uh, five. I think, yeah, that was five. five. I would... Um, <clears throat> I would learn to, like, uh, make my own broom, you know? Cool, that's some witchy-ass shit. Yeah, I'm just feeling like I want to learn a bunch of stuff while I'm drinking this wine. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, like, live off the land. Yeah. And your honey and your... Well, after you rob the bank... Mm-hmm. That's true. By cracking the safe, yes. you invest in a bunch of bees and yep. start a honey farm, and then you have to, you know, maintain your honey farm. You've got to sweep up with your homemade broom. That's, I understand. That's true. Totally get it. And uh, I guess to top it off and to continue on this theme. <laughs> and on this journey. I'm uh, also going to dig a dig a grave. <laughs> Whoa! And, and that le- was your final resting place this far. Just le- but I'm just going to leave it there for intimidation purposes. Yes! So like when people come on my land, I can just point to this open grave and be like, that could be you. <laughs> It's like put a little sign next to it. It's like no soliciting. No soliciting, yeah, right. (laughs) Just next to an open grave. Hey, I'm patenting this idea. Nobody take it. This is brilliant. Oh my god. Seven. Seven seven things. That was glorious. Oh my goodness. All right, Adrian. Give myself a little little top up. Yep, little Vincent. Little top nip of the old. Vincent. All right. Um, Adrian, seven things you would do while drinking hmm. the Vincent. Oh, sorry. Let me turn this around. <laughs> oh, yes. There it is. I'm looking at the wheat shaft now. <laughs> wheat shaft. Uh, Yola Amity Hills 2017 Pinot Noir. <laughs> um, I guess I would start out by, by playing a shaft marathon because I've <laughs> actually never seen a shaft film. Wow. Shaft marathon into it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. And you know, I'm also really into the, you know, like 70s slap bass, like funk. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> um, let's see. Then I would uh, I'd I'd buy a vintage car and drive it wearing one of those head scarves. Oh yeah, and like big sunglasses. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like a kind of a combination between like old Hollywood glamour and Eastern European babushka. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like French Riviera, but no. No. You're going babushka. I'm going babushka. Oh my god, there's a documentary on Amazon that I have on my watch list, but I keep passing by called The Babushkas of Chernobyl, which is literally just about crazy ass babushkas that live in the fucking radiation zone and like try to farm potatoes still. Yeah. It's only like an hour. We should Do they like have extra like three arms or something? I mean, damn. They're nuts just for living there, so maybe that's the affliction from the radiation. (laughs) No, I don't want to leave. No, I cannot leave on my potatoes. Uh, I stayed with my hands and my potatoes my next potato. to the dilapidated roller coaster of a community once thriving in the 80s before at, an Hercules disaster. At night, I hear the children screaming. <laughs> wow! Sorry, oh god, dark. So dark. Um, Whatever, HBO made a very violent. I didn't watch that. I haven't either, even though I'm very fascinated by that event. I haven't brought Same. myself to watch that show yet. <laughs> 
Anyways, Chernobyl detour, sorry. Chernobyl detour. Three, I think you're on a three. <laughs> Chernobyl detour alert. Chernobyl detour I would... Um, we need a button in case one of us goes off the rails into a Chernobyl conspiracy theory. Just like hit the button like, stop! <laughs> sorry. <laughs> See, I needed the button right there. I needed the button. Um, I get, get a book of tongue twisters. Oh, yeah. three. 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 And... And our favorite one would be at the back. It sure would. It sure would. Do you remember what the um, tongue twisters? The uh, the Venus Vinifera vis-a-vis the. What were their names? The Vessel Brothers. The Ves the Ves Ves something per Vesper Brothers. No, I think it's vet like V S S L. Like there isn't even an E in there because they're the so Vishla German. Br- the or maybe it's probably like Vishla Brothers. <laughs> the Vishla Brothers, named after the dog. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Is that- yeah, that was four. four. Okay. Um, ooh, I would go... Van Pessel, sorry. The Van Pessel. The Van Pessel, brother. I would buy a set of pastels. Royal pastels. And I'd, and I'd do a portrait of myself and do the thing where you smudge the oil pastels around and, and blend the colors. And... Um, then I'd be like, well, that's a really bad self-portrait. And I'd never show anyone. <laughs> just keep, like, the pastels on your fingers and just, like, walk around in public so people think just you're an touching actual artist. People. Yeah, exactly. Just like, oh, I, oh. I can't touch anybody. I can't talk to anybody without touching their face. They're like, no, please. Like, please get your orange please. hands away from me. <laughs> um, mm. Lost track. Was that five? I think I think that was five, yeah, yes. Um, oh, goodness. For six, um, I'd go to Goodwill, and I would blindly pick a recipe book, dig it home, and cook everything in it. In one night? In, in one night. Girl, you busy. Girl, you busy. <laughs> you busy. Take a bunch of meth, and then... <laughs> Joy of cooking. Oh God, no! Why do you have twenty-six loaves of fucking bread in your apartment? Keep baking. Uh, Did I just step in a goulash? (laughs) You don't even like onions. Uh, What's happening to you? every piece of the bubblegum pack in my mouth and try and blow the biggest bubble that has ever existed and I'd try to break the Guinness Book of World Re- Records for biggest bubble. You would. You would do it. <laughs> yes. You would. I, I would. Oh, I know it's like really annoying to a lot of people but I actually really like blowing bubbles. I fucking love blowing <laughs> bubbles and I used to do the, I'd do the double bubble. Yeah. I learned how to do the double bubble where you like blow the bubble in the bubble. So satisfying. Dude, you can do a bubble within a bubble. I can do a bubble within a bubble. I can just, I, I can do pretty like massive just big bubbles. ones, and then it like pops and kind of gets in your hair a little bit, and you gotta like peel it off your face and put it back in your mouth. Just it's really hot. So sexy. So sexy. Just like the hills of the Willamette Valley. The, the fertile hills of the Willamette <laughs> Valley, and all of Michael Keaton's various personas <laughs> in multiplicity. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
Oh my goodness. Oh, it's crazy. Is it? Ew.